Hello and welcome to Subject Matter Tabletop, a podcast about board games and the subject matter that animates them. I'm Steve Gotzler. And I am Jordan Tynes, coming to you today uh, with a special episode in between this main episode. And we are going to focus on a event that we are always excited about, but we're extra excited about this year because it promises to be a semi-return to normal. We'll see, but um, the event is Gen Con. It's Gen Con season, baby. Yeah, we are we are getting close. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar with what Gen Con is, it is a enormous board game convention, conference, gathering, yeah. party, summit. celebration, summit, yeah. uh, uh, gale force. Yeah, it's the, it's everything mm-hmm. with with board games. Just to give you an idea, in a semi normal year. We're looking at maybe 65,000 people attending this conference in downtown Indianapolis, filling a gigantic convention center, Super Bowl stadium, basically every hotel room within a 20-block radius. I wonder what the actual acreage of the convention center is. We should find that out. Just give people a frame of because... It's My, whatever massive acreage it is, it's that many acres of just people sitting yeah. at tables playing board games, which is quite incredible. Yeah. And doing other types of gaming. You know, it's, it's, there's no really, there's very, very little digital gaming, you know, video yeah. games. They, they, they limit it to like a very, I don't know how they do that or why or what the, what the method is. Probably they just don't want to invite that huge can of worms. Well, there are, like so, an yeah, and there are so many other curve. huge uh, video game conventions every year. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like it's that part of the market sort of taken care of, right? But um, there's also a lot of role-playing. I mean, one of the other great sites of Gen Con, which I love to see when we usually have, have the opportunity to walk through, is a giant hotel convention center with, you know, I don't know if, if anyone's ever been to an academic conference, you know, like the size of an academic conference, like a pretty big academic conference full of round tables with groups of like 10 people at each of the 100 round tables all playing the same game. They're all just sitting there imagining a world that they're in and doing stuff with their minds. It's incredible. (laughs) Just, just talking, just talking, just imagining. And only one person has a sheet of paper imagining the same stuff in one room. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's sweet, Uh, and it's it's every. It seems like it's a very um, uh, increasingly diverse group of people uh, Mm -hmm. coming to these conferences. Um, It seems like a very. welcoming community we've been going for what we've been going for four or five years now you have yeah i've gone to three prior okay um yeah so i've been going i've been going for five years mostly as just like a spectator right and um and somebody who's an educator in in the design of games yeah i come to it from a slightly different perspective a a more professional perspective Mm -hmm. as as you are now as well, Steve. Yeah. Right? So it's a play fest though. I mean, we have a good time. We do. We do. It, it is a, it is a tank filler. We get yeah. full of all kinds of new ideas and excitement and, uh, appreciation for the community that, that is, that com- is comprised of all kinds of gaming interested people. Mm. Um, whether it be to make money or just to have fun or, you know, there's, there it's, it's, 
a crossroads. Yeah. And there's all kinds of activities. We've only barely scratched the surface. You know, I've only been three, been no, right. three years and there's so many things I've not even tried. But we, we tend to be like big exhibit hall folks. We love that exhibit hall. Mm-hmm. I just love mm-hmm. nothing more than walking through a giant showroom of new board games or, mm-hmm. or soon to be released board games and just demoing them and looking at them. Um, yeah. We're also big True Dungeon heads. Shout out yeah, there's, TD. There's, we should probably do an episode just on True Dungeon at yeah. some point in time. But for those of you who are interested already, go ahead and do a Google search for True Dungeon mm-hmm. and your mind will be blown. Real um, props, real... What's the what's it's the real slogan? something or other? There's a there's a tagline. Three, three real, reels, real, real something, real something, real yeah. something. One of them's props. Yeah. Real fun, maybe. Yeah. Real props, real something, real fun, real fun something like that. Yeah, we should yeah. know. Sorry, real adventure, Sorry, real, real dungeon. We should I don't know. know. Uh, um, but it's great. And the other thing I'm really looking forward to is um, playing some social deduction games that you need twelve people to play, because I literally never have the opportunity to convince twelve people right. to play a social deduction game with me in my everyday life. And yeah. I love doing that at the con because it's just a bunch of folks who were down to clown, as it were, and you just like get in there and start lying to each other through your teeth. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's worth noting. We should talk. We should circle back on social deduction at some point. But um, it's worth noting that Steve and I go to this convention and do very little board gaming. We do a lot of things that are impossible to do at home. We get a lot of demonstrations. Yes, yeah. we do a lot of, of board game of, browsing. Right. Yeah, we get the and and there's there's an art form. We should talk about this. <laughs> we should set this up because what we're going to talk about in a minute are is some of the games that we're excited about exploring from the perspective of subject matter tabletop. Right. You know, what is it? How are these games? These new games that are coming out do they hold promise for being a game that we could maybe even feature on the show, but just a game that, that is a um, exemplary of a subject in some way. Um, but the way we're going to explore those games is oftentimes, as Steve said, cruising this vendor hall, which is so huge that you can almost see the curvature of the earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we go from booth to booth More in this gigantic as far room. As the eye can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. board <laughs> games and people. Uh, it's it's huge and mass of board gaming. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild and and um and undoubtedly COVID. And yeah, undoubtedly COVID. We'll see and we'll give people the update on that too. Uh, hopefully, we'll be we'll say we're fully vaccinated. We're fully uh, yeah, the requirement taking care and of. We're requiring masks at Gen Con, so we'll be happily yeah, happily we'll compliant with that. Yep, yep. We're we are ha- we are pleased with the steps they are taking, and we're feeling safe about as safe as we can be yeah. about entering a space like the, um, the event hall, yeah. the, the, the vendor hall. And uh, so as you're going from booth to booth to circle back to this point I was yeah, trying sorry. to make here is, um, no, no, it's fine. I'm, I, let's, let's diverge as much as we, we want here. Cause this is a special episode. It's not polished like well, you would right. expect. So it's just, just us talking. We're just free um, Yeah. So you're going from booth to booth in this exhibit hall and you, it feels like th- the person standing on the other side of the table, the person who's presenting and sharing whatever game you're standing in front of has your attention for like 30 seconds. Yeah. And if they can, if they can make you interested in the game in 30 seconds, then you might stay for like 15, 20 minutes, ideally. Right. And in that time you will get a, maybe a one round demonstration of the game. So we'll just play like one turn, basically each of us, or maybe we'll get three or four turns. Uh, but depending on the, the style of game and how long it takes to take a turn, they're going to, they're going to sort of set it up. And there is an 
art form to how they set it up, yeah, sure. how they pitch it to you, and how they sort of curate the experience of that game in just that short amount of time so that you, I mean, I think they're trying to sell them, of course, but for us, we're going to be looking at like, hmm, does this, could this be a subject matter tabletop gym? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is great. I do love that experience of them because also once you're in it, when, once you swim in it for a while, you get used to it as its own little ecosystem. So you can sort of like all of a sudden you're communicating with the, the vendor stall hawker people on a different wavelength, you know, and they're cutting mm-hmm. through the noise about like, you know, this is, this is the basic theme. Here are the two mechanics that are interesting and how they're blended. And here's what happens when you blend them. And I'll show you like the two or three conditional situations that like make this game interesting. And you sit down and you do mm-hmm. it. And like, oh, that's interesting. Or you're like, Oh, I've seen it before, you know, whatever. Or, you know, it seems cool, but like theme is not really my bag. So I'm, I'm not into it, whatever. But you get to just like walk through this buffet and have like a very high level engagement uh, with a ton of different games, but without a high bandwidth cost, you know, like you don't have to sit down and read a rule mm-hmm. book. You don't have to like spend an hour learning, but you still feel like you drilled down and got to really the essence of what all of those games were and what they had to offer. And that's what I really love about what those people do in the stalls. Cause they really like help you tap into that shorthand for the games. Yeah. So if you are a board game designer or an exhibitor or a just a person who has volunteered to teach somebody else's game design in a in Gen Con or any other convention like that, here's our applaud applause to you. I mean, very well done. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a master craft. We appreciate you. Uh, and you know, like I was saying, it then becomes like almost like a little environment where there's like, oh, everybody's going to this stall and there's a big line at this one or there's like a huge wait to get at the demo table mm-hmm. for this game or, you know, and that all depends too. There's like the little stalls. There's the stalls that are like the size of a desk. They're the people that have like a medium mm-hmm. range one and they have a few tables or they're like the big ones that have like a big patch or there's like Fantasy Flight, which is huge and has like, it almost feels like it's like you're waiting outside of a club and you have to like snake through like, uh, you know, uh, two or three, like, back and forths in a line, and then someone, like, checks your card at the door before you go behind the yeah, curtain right. and, like, buy have your you Star been here Wars before? minis. Yeah. Um, How much of this material have you purchased in, in previous transactions? Uh, yeah. Um, so, anyways, it's all um, it's all exciting. We're very excited. If you're, if you're, for those of you who are totally unfamiliar with this kind of scene, if, and if you're looking for, like, sort of a mind's eye image of what this is like, think, like, gigantic sprawling like king's tournament medieval fair yeah right where you have different sized pavilions you have somebody in like a tiny little like you know like you know you know nice cart maybe Mm -hmm. and then you have somebody in like a gigantic sprawling like silk pavilion you know and there's with like jugglers in front you know, you know right, people right, employed you know, just, that's the other thing is always dance. interesting to see like the different tactics employed to get people to like pick them out of the sea of stalls um for it's sure funny to see the things because there are trends you notice it's like oh everybody's doing this this year okay you know this is what's going on mm-hmm. So it's fun. And you and I like to sort of transcend all of those spaces. You know, there are people there that are clearly there for one type of thing. And they're, they're, they beeline to that thing. They stay in that thing. And, and that's their experience. And that's great. And you and I are more of like generalists when mm. it comes to this environment. We are going to all the big spaces, the small spaces, and all the spaces in between. And I, I think when we, when we look back on previous Gen Cons, you and I are always sort of talking about the people that – are not necessarily, they're like a little hard to find. You know, we've yeah. like, we've kind of dug, you know, between the aisles and we find totally. the small little uh, game designer that, um, 
you know, is a sleeper hit. Maybe, yeah. That, you know, we're, that we, for some reason, find a connection with. And, and I think it circles back to its potential for uh, the games that they're selling, potential for doing what we're talking about. Yeah. Being an exemplary subject matter game. That's how we found B-Lives. Well, I guess it's not how we found it. You had already backed it, but it's how I heard, heard yeah. B-Lives. I mean, I saw yeah. Matt Shoemaker, Shoemaker, Schumacher, yeah. um, at Gen Con in his small, low-key stall, you know, with his copies of B-Lives, demoing it and talking yeah. about it. And, you know, so there's definitely hidden gems. I think the two upsides <laughs> of going to a big event like this, like why we make the trouble to go and spend the money to go is the big reason is to get like early access to industry hot items, right? It's like, Oh, all the big, big houses are here and you're getting advanced looks at, and in some cases, advanced copies of things that then will be widely available, but you just get to try them first. But the other one that's just as interesting and just as fun, I think is finding things that are these small little indie titles that somebody put together some money to drive down to the indie and get a booth space and try and promote their game and those often are not ever going to be widely available. So you actually have to go to the con to have that like face-to-face interaction with the person who just opened their box of like 50 copies that they have and has them on the table. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy those experiences. Yeah, plus to those people too, you know, yeah. they, they do all the work. They're there all day, every day. Yeah. You know, they, they set up, they, they break down, you know, they, they drive their car, they probably pack it full of stuff i mean it's it's just amazing oh, I mean, it must the, be the dedication like pitching your game to people for yeah. like eight hours a day to like stranger after stranger yeah. after stranger oh my god must be exhausting emotionally it's probably exhausting it's probably enormously rewarding it's probably emotionally you know just a roller coaster it's yeah. it's awesome yeah it's fun i mean it's it's all those things for us and we're just there we're like just walking around them. yeah <laughs> we're just yeah. walking around looking at stuff <laughs> uh, and it's great yeah it is sensory yeah. overload so, in the best way which also i think is a part of why we like it like i think that's not for everybody either but you and i do kind of like get down with with that of like like oh my god yeah. there's so much going on in here let's swim in this for five hours um so, so we've, we've been doing a little bit of research about this year's lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so are there some there are a few things that you're particularly excited about this year? Uh, there a, a are game many things, you know, ranging from subject matter tabletop interest to just goofy Steve interest. Some of the SMTG yeah, stuff that I was looking let's at. Do, I mean, let's do subject matter, yeah. Yeah, we had a list of several that we were looking at um, together. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably like, I guess there's there's several. Three maybe that I would mention. Uh, and no mm-hmm. particular order. Um, mm-hmm. Did you look a lot at at Hippocrates? I did. Hippocrates um, looks pretty when cool. It was po- yeah. So this it is does. from um, Game Brewer, is the publisher, and mm-hmm. it's, this is 2022 release. So I don't know if it's out yet or not. Um, no, it was kickstarted. So um, I, I remember the Kickstarter campaign and uh, being okay. sorely tempted to to back it, but for whatever reason, I didn't do it. Um, maybe it's because I just kicked started something else, and I feel like I can't do it too often. But, sure, yeah, um, it's a slippery slope. Uh, but anyways, Hippocrates so looks incredibly interesting. It, it looks um, like it has a decent uh, amount of like thematic art, which I always enjoy. You know, putting us back in the setting. But it also looks like the most unwieldy thing imaginable on some level. The, one yeah. of the images on BGG has it spread across two entire exhibit hall size tables like cafeteria tables yeah, yeah that's um, gigantic. <laughs> there's a picture of the patient I mean, people cards. are people are in, are down with yeah. big games yeah um, but this one is 
gigantic. It looks enormous. Um, but that also, mm -hmm. in like a weird way, even though it repulses me, it also like attracts me because it also looks mm -hmm. beautiful. So if you're going to be enormous, you might as well be beautiful. Um, but yeah, it just it looks sure. like a totally unfathomable game state. Like I, I just don't even imagine. Like you have to pace around the boards and like look at different. So for those of you who don't crazy. know about Hippocrates, the historical figure from ancient greece from uh yeah it is ancient greece because yeah. it's uh they say 370 bc um he's a he's famous for his uh advances in the medical field right yeah he's like you know classically like the oldest western doctor essentially mm -hmm. right um medical mm -hmm. professionals in western culture take a hippocratic oath which is named after him that symbol we see on doctor's offices mm -hmm. of like the snake mm -hmm. and the staff is traced back to this time mm -hmm. i think uh, but he was a pioneer in, like, um, medicine and science. Uh, he also wrote some interesting stuff about climate and its relation to health, which is, uh, you know, uh -huh. probably uh, we could revisit those yeah. connections <laughs> in yeah, today's cool. age. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so there's definitely lots there. That. We could talk to uh, lots of interesting folks who study ancient Greece or study the history of medicine. Um, mm -hmm. That'd be an interesting, t interesting game to play, for sure. I would, it would almost be worth it just to set that game up if that's really how it looks when it's set up. Uh, to, to, to sort of like uh, spring that on an unsuspecting medical professional who doesn't <laughs> oh play board goodness. games. Yeah. <laughs> Just see what they right. do. I guess it would depend on the type of doctor. <laughs> yeah, true. There's, there's probably different doctors that would, uh, that would feel differently about <laughs> board games. It just looks incredible. But that so, size. so that was one that caught my eye. What about you? What were some of the things you were looking at? Well, you know, that game's interesting because it says, I'm just on the reading the description here, combines auction bidding, tile placement, resource management. You know, these are the mechanics mm -hmm. that are part of this game. Auction bidding, how, I mean, dying to know how that fits in with, like, the practice. I have a guess. And... My oh, guess is that let's, you're let's bidding on patience. Oh, my goodness. That, like, that you are bidding to have the, the opportunity to treat them. Yeah, I mean that is that is like, you know, I guess that's what's going on here with uh, the uh, hospital, the privatization yeah. of of medicine in the United. But that States. is just a guess. So, I have no idea. Yeah, you could okay. also be bidding right, on well, medicines or like ingredients. Yeah. I think it looks. I think I saw something here where there are like recipes. You know, so mm. it could be about right. that. Now we're definitely going to have to track that one down. Yeah, we're going to have to track that one down and figure it out. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Well, so all right. So my turn. Hippocrates. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah cool um i'm dying to play gutenberg mm, are you really uh, that's interesting we should I play am. it we should put it on podcast i think i have some good people we could ask to play that with us and study early yeah early yeah gutenberg is for those of you who don't know the person who invented uh printing uh johan or press. johannes or how, you, how would you want to say that uh Yo johan, johan is that his first name uh, yeah it's yeah uh, he's like a exactly sure, what but, a 16th um, century german dude Maybe 15th mm -hmm. century, 15th century so. German dude, an, an old German it, dude. You know, he's very, very famous for, for uh, inventing <laughs> really the edifying printing press. <laughs> an old German dude, yeah. Um, an old German dude. Well, he's, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. um, that is, he's no longer old because he's dead, but. Um, I think maybe 15th century. I think it's 15th century, but. A, he was famous for printing the Bible, um, right? Being able yeah. to like. Uh, m massively produce and spread the word of uh, you know the Christian God uh, to to more people. It was no longer a luxury item to own a Bible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it still was. Um, and it, if you if you have a, a piece of the Gutenberg Bible, 
today, then it is certainly a luxury item. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> if you own a but, Gutenberg uh, Bible today, you are a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or um, a museum personified. I, it's got all these fiddly little pieces where you're supposed to like put all these like little tiles with all these like individual letters mm-hmm. on onto a board. And as miserable as that sounds to me, <laughs> um, it sounds like it's probably similar to the act of yeah, like placing sure. little it, tiny it pieces into like a printing press. Next level fiddly with the yeah uh, totally the gears, <laughs> the gears on the player boards but i mean you're right i mean that totally. might make it really cool and i do like the way that it's all about changing typesets and you know because that is what it was all about one of the people that we might be able to you know cajole into playing this with us has a really big interesting research project they did recently not in the 15th century so slightly later than this but 17th century printing looking at a bunch of stuff that was printed anonymously and using computer vision to look at the um typeface and the sort of letter sets to determine within a reasonable guess what printers were responsible for printing Mm. it because there were only so many of Mm -hmm. these machines right it's like the machines help us produce copies but it was still not like everybody had a macbook not everybody had a printing press so Mm -hmm. in in england for instance there were you know less than a hundred probably like operating or maybe in london less than a hundred or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. so anyways uh, i digress well that sounds that sounds that sounds awesome we should totally try it because uh, we, we I'm sure, undoubtedly we'll find a way to try it at Gen Con and perhaps contact some folks to play. Um, well, okay. So just just as an aside, really quickly before we go to your next selection, sure. Um, our plan here is to do another one of these types of casual episodes after Gen Con, just to sort of maybe follow up on all these games and and um, maybe add a few more that we weren't expecting or that we discovered while we were there, just to give you our our sort of follow-up impression on, on yeah i think that's a great idea so i mean I, like for instance i would love to see what i actually think of hippocrates in person just because like i'm going yep. off a couple pictures on bgg and it just looks kind of crazy but it might yeah. look really and words cool. on a page yeah. you know it might look, yeah. we're not well it does look cool it might look really accessible in person in a way that it mm-hmm. doesn't here mm-hmm. so what's next on your list uh what's another one i wanted to look what's at i mean another one that caught my eye was this first in flight um for a number of mm-hmm. reasons one I think we should have more aviation games. Um, and what yeah. I mean by aviation games are games that involve aviation that don't involve combat. <laughs> uh, yeah. That would be good. Always. I would like more av- aviation-based gaming because um, aviation is cool. And it did make me think about... Um, that there was, a, there was like a flash in the pan where a bunch of people were doing like retro space race games. Do you remember this? There was one that was like a yeah. real big Kickstarter. Yeah. Had, the design aesthetic was like blueprints. It was called Space uh-huh. Race, I think. But I, I almost yeah. backed it. I didn't. I've never played it. But I, like that kind of a thing, I think is really interesting. Um, you know, just like you know. This, so anyway, this game that I was thinking of, I don't know if I mentioned the title yet. It's called First in Flight. Um, so it's about like the Wright brothers, I presume, and uh, this sort of early experimental aviation uh, in, in the U.S. But I don't know about elsewhere. That would be really great if there was an expansion with the people elsewhere, like in France and Britain, who were doing aviation experiments around that same time. There's just a. Yeah. A real love in, for me of of early aviation. There's this really goofy, like slapstick British comedy film from the '60s called "Those Wonderful Men and Their Flying" Ma- or "Those Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines," that I used to watch mm-hmm. as a child. <laughs> Which is, uh, if anybody looks that up, that'll give you an idea of like uh, goofy flying machine um, charm that I'm into. And so this game looks <laughs> like it has maybe a little bit of that going on. I think as a game, it looks very not that exciting. I think I'll enjoy looking at the cards. But I'm always mm-hmm. a little suspicious of games that have the core mechanic be uh, deck building, because I just feel like 
I don't know. I have such a hot and cold. I blow up very hot and cold with deck building games. Um, yeah. They can be really yeah, great it, or they it, can it, be really kind of like one note. Um, so yeah, we've not, we've not covered deck building specifically on this episode or on this show, but we should at some point um, do a game with deck building so we can kind of explain the details of that and maybe how it works for certain topics and not others. But I think in this case, it's that sort of like, you basically, in short, you are building a deck of cards as you play, and mm-hmm. it, what happens is that you don't you know what's in there, but you don't really know what's like what's going to happen in the deck. Right? Yeah. You don't know what order it's going to come out, and that that I think that's what they're using here is that every time you've sent your prototype wooden and canvas plane into the air, you didn't know what was going to happen. Right. If it was okay. going to crash or... So you draw gonna, out you know, to see what the result of the yeah, test flight is or something. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I really like the design of the pilot cards. Those look cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also in the process of moving to North Carolina, whose license plates famously mm-hmm. say first mm-hmm. in flight, which uh, because yeah. of Kitty Hawk, which was on the Outer Banks where the Wright brothers first flew uh-huh. their plane. Uh-huh. But I've also learned from a friend of mine here who's from Ohio, because the Wright brothers were from Ohio and developed most of their tech in Ohio, but then just took it to North Carolina to test it, mm-hmm. that there mm-hmm. is much dispute uh, over this first in flight business. <laughs> and Ohio is, oh, yeah. Ohio's sure. bitter about this. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. So I actually, uh, side note, visited the white Wright brothers memorial oh in, most recent uh, trip when you drove down the outer banks you went yeah. to kitty hawk yeah cool yeah it's actually in in uh, a town called kill devil hills oh yeah, yeah. And you mm-hmm. can actually what's cool about it is that you can like stand at the spot where they launched it and then you there the, they put these stones out in this field where it like stopped flying cool uh, and <laughs> and so you can walk out to there and, and it's it's pretty cool yeah. So, anyways, um, first in flight first looks cool. Flight. I'm interested in it. By I'm a little wary of the deck building, but I love the theme, um, and I think the history yeah. of aviation is a fascinating topic that could use a lot more fulsome treatment in tabletop games. That is not just the history of using aviation to kill people. Um, yeah. So, that was another one on my so, list. So that's a good one. Um, and yeah, so one on my list here. I'm going to start to crack open a can of worms that you and I will eventually have to really interrogate. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I know where you're going uh, with this. (laughs) This is is a game called Crescent Moon. Oh, I was wrong. Okay. Well, I mean, it's going in the same direction that you think I'm going. Um, And, you know, so let me just pull it up really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, This is an Osprey game, right? Yes, yeah, and and they they do a pretty good job, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's supposed to take to take place, and you know, you're 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 warring sultans in this, um, right? Um, you know, sort of Middle Eastern kind of aesthetic in, in environment. Does it have and a definite period? Do they identify a period? I don't know. That's that's the kind of weird thing about it. Yeah. You know, like Here's I'm looking here on the. Uh, there's no 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 year associated with it they don't even really like specify a super specific location um which is which is strange right mm. and yeah and, and perhaps you know i would i would be I'm, i want to talk with the, the designers about this potentially like okay where is this supposed to be what time is it supposed to be how did you do your research on this because mm-hmm. i am and i know you are too troubled by what we refer to sometimes as a 
orientalism practice, a practice of an or- oh, yeah. orientalism, you know, when it comes to creating a certain aesthetic in games. And, uh, you know, for those you, you are not yeah. familiar with the art his- historical term of orientalism, it's the sort of like exploitation of a certain aesthetic from a certain region or time period and not really, um, I mean, it's much more complicated than what I'm putting in it yeah. right now, but um, not doing a good job uh, representing that time period and, and perhaps even exploiting that time period for, um, you know, and, and misrepresenting yeah. that time period. I mean, yeah, it's it's an open, like, secret, right? I mean, anybody who's spent any time around board games, especially Euro games, um, it's just, like, a really, really rife um, problem in historical practice in board gaming. Mm-hmm. The, like, use of Orientalism um, projected usually into historical games, which is the most insidious because it's not even a kind of, like, fanciful uh, use of it. It's just sort of like, hey, here's this historical game that relies on an entirely... Um, you know, Western view of the East as like this strange mystical place full of, you yeah. know, wonders and dangers, uh, etc. So, I mean, this game looks sort of interesting. I think it'd be great to talk to the designer and ask him some mm-hmm. questions about this. Because another thought I was having while I was reading this was like, okay, well, what's the devil's advocate argument? It could be something like, well, there are a bajillion sort of like nondescript medieval Europe games and they don't always sure. say what century it is or where it is or what country. Right. So maybe this is just the post-classical game set in the near or Middle East instead of set in Europe. And then that can, and that, and that's that sense, what I'm hopeful you could, for. you know, make an argument for it as like a, you know, positive thing. So totally. And it's it's strange that we don't have a lot of we have very few games that attempt to represent Middle Eastern politics in like historically accurate ways mm. or and so if this if this can do that in some way um, I would be thrilled about it uh, and and so we'll we'll have to we'll have to see yeah uh, that's that's a big question mark yeah there. that's an interesting one one I am less <laughs> one I am uh, less yeah, sort of open minded we about. should conclude with our like yeah. our big criticism of one, of one the here. one I'm less open minded about is um this game called Brazil colon Imperial <laughs> I'm making by a, a portal games right now. Yeah. By portal games. Yeah. Uh, and it just looks like nuclear meltdown levels of problematic. It's a four X game for one thing set in colonial so, um, South America. So four X games are usually set in space. That's like their, their mm-hmm. usual setting. And mm-hmm. the four X's stand for, I kid you not let's get through them here so one is exploit okay run of the mill whatever people you know um one is extract i think no it's it's explore expand exploit and exterminate See, explore and expand and expand always seem like that's that's um redundant so i always want to say extract instead of expand yeah so you're exploring you're exploiting and you're exterminating which is usually yeah. like an alien race, right? It's like, it, that's yeah. why they're often in space. So this is a 4X game where two of your core actions are going to be exterminate and exploit, and it's set in colonial South America, in Brazil specifically, and the player yes. boards, I, I was looking at pictures, and one person plays as like Queen Victoria. Um, it just looks mm-hmm. crazy. It looks yeah. absolutely yeah horrendous it, it looks it looks like a like a kind of a harmful board game to be honest but well, um and so so we're gonna go into it <laughs> with that very yeah. like 
we're, we're going to track this game down. We're going to, we're going to get the demo, you know, and we're going to try to talk about our, our concerns that Steve's highlighting, um, with, you know, just perpetuating the, like, so is this game perpetuating excitement around colonialism? Mm. That is, that is a, that is a hefty question to ask of anything, let alone a board game. And, and we need to, I think limit or if not completely eradicate games that are making you feel happy about exploiting and exterminating in, in a colonial context. Yeah. And usually part of the exploring is really just extracting also. I mean, that's what it is. Usually you're doing resource extraction, yeah. right? So yeah. we're just going to extract, exploit, and exterminate Brazil from yeah. the perspective of European powers. And so to what extent is that done in any way, fashion, or shape as like a self-reflexive yeah. critical exercise to teach yeah. people about the horrors of colonialism? I kind of doubt it looking at the game. It well, looks well, yeah, like Maybe we can figure it. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So, so here, here's what we'll do. Uh, here's my, my oath at least, and maybe Steve will join me in this or not, but I will go into it with an open mind. Mm. <laughs> you know, I will sure. try to yeah, sure. uh, be as hopeful as possible. Give the, give the designer the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they did do their homework. Maybe they are, you know, you know, doing a good job with these, um, these issues that Steve and I are taking, but the, you know, and this is not new, right? How many, yeah. how many demos have you and I, gotten over the years where we, we were like oh, okay that's seen great game design but woof you just missed the, missed the yeah. beat on yeah yeah well that's on, the thing about this game right this issue if this game succeeds it will be in spite of all of those problems then it'll be because it offers like a really delightfully crunchy and well-balanced puzzle system for players to engage in mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really unfortunate if that's the case that people continue to use these sorts of unconscious themes to mm-hmm. to develop those puzzles, you know, um, it's just weird. But you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll keep an open mind. We'll, we'll go, we'll go into it with an open mind. I think that's a good, yeah, that's a good bait, uh, you know, baseline approach. Um, well, there are other games on our list, and I think we could we should just bring these up as they pop up. You know, we're mm. we're both of us are really excited about this game called Lacrimosa, yes. which we know nothing about really. Yeah, we know that um, it's about it's, it, Beta, uh, Mozart, Mozart, right? Roughly. So then that's you know, enough for me. Uh, Sign me up. Let's yeah, watch Amadeus yeah, and play, play Lacrimosa. Mozart is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm excited about this game called Blazon, which is just oh, yeah, a yeah, game yeah. where you're making the heraldic, heraldic game. design yeah. on your on your shields, and that sounds interesting because I don't know anything about that, and maybe I'll learn something about it. Yeah, that one did look There's a rather, weird game called um, like that one looked like it had legit like bona fides in terms of like how heraldry works and how you would do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sounds sounds awesome. I'm down. Uh, USPS, the Great American Mail Race, sounds ridiculous. I didn't look at that one. Loaded and weird and, and fun. We should try <laughs> that maybe. Um, you know, Great Western Trail is a game that's been uh, being adapted. It's a game that's very much so in the sort of vein of, of things that we're talking about. You know, the last two examples of like... Uh, potentially problematic representations mm. of, of, uh, colonial, uh, history. Mm. And, um, there's one themed on Argentina that I'm kind of interested in. Um, uh, maybe they, I don't, I don't know much about Argentinian colonial history, but yeah, um, perhaps they 
address that in some way. We'll see. Uh, we should just give a shout out real quick to, uh, you know, cause we, cause we played a, uh, Matt Shoemaker design, uh, the red Bernus, oh, yeah, um, right. which is set in Algeria, 1857. It's a game cooperative game that he's designed. We should definitely give him uh, a shout out. And yeah, that'll, that'll no doubt be, be interesting. Uh, cause he also has a history degree, right? So that must mm-hmm. be, I would assume, I mean, I guess I shouldn't assume that's the, you know what they say about assuming, but I would assume that that subject yeah. is close to what he studied, um, for his history yeah. degree as well, given the fact that his other interest of hobby beekeeping was the inspiration for his first game. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll stop by and maybe give him a, a an SMTT sticker oh, sure. as well and just say, Hey, we're, we're doing this thing. I doubt he's heard the episode yet, but maybe he has, maybe he has yeah. since he's mentioned my name, who knows? Yeah. Um, um, Septima looks, I mean, we're just, we're yeah, both I'm Steve and I are kind of, kind of witch, witchcraft nerds. Yeah. Um, and this is a game where you're just like a, a witch in a coven doing awesome yeah, things. And it cool. sounds like, and it sounds like a positive representation of, of, uh, Wiccan culture mm-hmm. potentially. I mean, I think maybe we can, uh, it's not just a culture. It's also religion. That's right? true. So, yeah. um, so we'll have to, uh, give that one a try. Uh, spoiler alert. I've already kickstarted it. So I'm getting it whether or not I like oh, it baby. or not. And, and we'll, and we'll, uh, have to play That's that exciting. with, uh, but, but perhaps a, uh, person who is observant of the Wiccan practices. Um, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Uh, let's see. There's also this game called San Francisco, and there's another game called Stroganoff. I haven't looked at Stroganoff very closely, and there's another one called Catherine, the Cities of the Tsarina. So there are lots of history games, which is a common thing. Mm. And I just, I was looking through them, and granted, I was looking very quickly and not really, you know, playing them, which is, uh, you often get a very different sense of those games by playing them than you do by looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that many of them are exciting, but man, they looked boring. Can we, history <laughs> is not boring, people. <laughs> like let's get let's spice up the look of these history games because I bet yeah. you these games are crackers. Like I bet you there are some interesting yeah. card playing mechanics in that Zarina game that it becomes just mm. like so intense and you're at the table waiting. Ooh, ah, I bet it's a great game, but it looks like a snooze. The way the pieces look. Well, yeah, and and you know that's funny because we'll have to interrogate this perhaps in a, in one of these episodes that does explore a historic topic and, and maybe it does represent it in a boring way mm-hmm. because, um, how do you represent history without misrepresenting it by sort by of like, like turning it into a car? Shooting it up. Yeah. 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 That also, yeah. That's the fine line, I suppose. And that's probably why they often settle for the more plain, plain and sort of boring yeah. approach, but it just yeah. often, so seems we'll have to, I, I agree with you. I think it should be uh, a blast, and I mean, make have fun with your representation of history, but also do it with a sensitivity to the people that may still be, you know, impacted by that history in some way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, primary documents, if you have them, I think is another way, of, or primary sources, I should say, for like the assets mm. is a way to mm-hmm. do that because the, like the mm-hmm. real stuff of the history is not boring, but there's very little of the real stuff of history in the visual look of these games when they have these sort of like very mm-hmm. plain, um, like routine action icons and representations of like a field or a building or what you know just mm-hmm. like give me some of the real texture of the period you know use some you know artifacts or something you know who's you know what genre of games is like most guilty of that like flat aesthetic mm. is uh wargaming yeah 
you know, and, and, and you know, for perhaps, a very sorry, good reason, war gamers out there who are who are probably working very hard to spice <laughs> up their war gaming by building elaborate. 3d yeah well that's uh, environments yeah. for their i mean and those are those are beautiful that's anything I mean, but you, you, what we're so talking we can, about yeah yeah we're not talking about those people who are out there on uh, you know who, who bring haul these like massive like i don't know 40 foot long yeah, terrains like two like, like two billion miniature tables houses yeah. and stuff you know yeah they're huge <laughs> it's amazing yeah, they're so cool and they have little figurines that they're you know moving around with rulers and mm-hmm. stuff like that um, we're not talking about you guys. We're talking about um, the folks. Well, not the folks, but just the games that are, you know, like basically print and play. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can, like I, I could, I could you know, just print those out. On I mean, the there is, yeah, that is an area of gaming. I feel like I have to just like force myself to do for a while. I think I need to just like mm-hmm. play war operational war games, specifically operational mm-hmm. ones, because I'm fascinated by this form mm-hmm. where you have mm-hmm. like a set of operations that you run through and you like start their round by rolling the dice to see what the weather's like. And then if it's raining oh, right. and there's mud, so like the cavalry yeah. cavalry's affected and like, it just like it trickles yeah. down through all of these Your wagon wheels. Yeah. And it just sounds incredibly taxing and kind of like a lot, but it also sounds potentially in, immensely like immersive and rewarding. Um, yeah. To, but we should know. definitely do it once or twice with someone who studies whatever era of, of war there's tons whatever we're, uh, we're tons of them yeah. are set in the napoleonic yeah. wars that's like one of the yeah. most prominent yeah. eras for those games yeah i once uh i had a friend who um was really into these games and and had a space in his basement set up roped off that mm-hmm. you couldn't enter you know where he would set it up he was when i saw it he was playing a game that was based on the seven years war and he said he had been playing it for longer than seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so it was going for longer uh. than before it lasted. <laughs> and only like five other people had a copy of it and they were all playing it together and they were doing it remotely. And somebody would send they, all their instructions their and everybody moved their Tabletop yeah. simulation of the seven years war Wild. has lasted longer than the seven years war. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. amazing. Um, but yeah, so I don't know how we got got on that topic. Oh, we we're talking about design. Um, but yeah, yeah, war games. I mean, you know, the Undaunted games are very popular, and those seem to have a little bit more of a zhuzh about them. I don't know. I haven't looked at the which games. Uh, oh, Undaunted. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a whole maybe that's a part of their World success. War Two series. Yeah, they're they're kind of they're nice uh, looking. We'll have to explore those too. I, I I almost added there's there's a couple of Undaunted games that I want to try. Mm. Um, World War Two though is man. How many games of yeah. about World War II are there out there? It's, sure. I mean, how many games have I played of World War II? And I'm not even really that into them. So uh, it's, it's. Um, I have to be really intrigued mm-hmm. to be pulled into a World War II game at this point. Yeah, I mean, I would love to play a game like you said earlier. If somebody can make a game about a historical era that involved a lot of warfare, that and the game is not about the act of like warfare. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I'm like immediately intrigued. Yeah. Like somebody make like a make a game about like World War II that's not about fighting. Yeah, for sure. Oh my god, I would love that. Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting yeah. challenge. That would be a really <laughs> interesting challenge. Um, it'd yeah. probably be pretty depressing, but um, it might yeah. be fun yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, maybe it's about like maybe it's about mobilizing. You know. Oh, oh, actually, boom, got it. Somebody did make a game about victory gardens. Oh, really? Yeah, about and specifically we should, we should victory gardens. Yeah, oh, we should look that's at that. That's cool. That. Yeah, we should play that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Love that. Um, 
Anyway, we we are probably we should we should wrap things okay. up because we want to do this as a two part thing, um, and we we hope that you know you appreciate our enthusiasm for Gen Con. <laughs> we are excited. We're very excited. We will report back on all the things, hopefully all the games we at least touched on today. We have notes about the games that we talked about today. And so we will keep notes. Maybe we'll even do a couple of little field recordings about maybe some of the games yeah, that are immediate oppressions and include those. Go in check out Brazil session. Imperial and then go back to the hotel and get it off my chest. Yeah. And, and also, if you are listening to this and you are excited about a game that you know will be at Gen Con, and you think it might have a particular, you know, uh, represent, you know, represent the subject that it's, you know, that it's communicating in some interesting way. Let us know, and we'll we'll track it down and play it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if there is, if there, if there are games that we missed on this list that you think would be perfect for the podcast, please let us know. We do have um, an email inbox that's live. And yes, we do have an email I am inbox. Now embarrassingly blanking on the address. Um, I think it's sub. You just go to subjectmattertabletop.org. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And and there's a link. I think it's subjectmattertabletop@gmail.com or something. I think it is too. Uh, but yeah. yes. Um, but the best way to do it is subjectmattertabletop.org. Mm-hmm. Click the email link. It'll take us. You can also take, follow us on Twitter you. and Instagram via that website. Yeah. And, DM um, us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll be maybe we'll do some Instagram posts on the game totally. that we're we're demoing. Yeah, that'd be fun. We should definitely do that. Cool. Well, thank you, folks, for listening. Yes, thank you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, stay in touch and rate, review, subscribe, listen. Um, there we go. If you're here, hopefully you've heard some of the other episodes. But if you haven't, hey, go check them out. They're pretty good, I think. And uh, yeah, awesome. stay tuned. We'll be we'll be in touch with some updates about how fun how much fun we're having at Gen Con and how many cool games we found. All right. See you soon. Bye. Bye.